Uh, I see a lot of married couples here, and I'm going to kind of put y'all on the spot, starting with JT and Suzette here, uh, next coming over to y'all. And so uh, anyways, I'm going to start by asking Emily and Skylar a question, because they're fixing to get married, y'all heard, right? All right, and they're going to, y'all give it up for that. That's good. Man, his mama was thinking God had somebody for him at some point, right? And, and vice versa, right? But uh, hey, so Skylar and Emily, let me ask you a question. Are, are y'all interested when you get married in having an intimate relationship, loving relationship? I'm not talking physical. That's not intimacy. Goes, intimacy goes like spiritual, mental, like emotional. It's the whole package. Uh, all right, let me put it this way. Emily, are you looking for a one-woman man? All right, you looking for a one-man woman? So you want a dedication to each other. Are y'all look, so that's what I mean by an intimate, loving relationship. Are, are y'all looking for that intimate, loving relationship, or are you just looking to have an affair with each other? And an affair with each other and with other people? Because when you have an affair with other people, that now creates an affair in your own marriage. That's how you treat your, your spouse in that. So y'all just want a casual affair with each other, or do you want an intimate, loving relationship? You do want that. Okay, good, good, good. That's what most people do want. That's what they go. And if it isn't what you wanted, then we need to rediscuss this wedding, all right? But uh, that, I'm glad that's what you want in all of that. So, so JT and Suzette, what's the difference between an affair and a loving, intimate relationship? Don't me, and y'all, all these married couples, I see Steve Smoke coming out of there. I got to think of one. All I want is one answer from y'all, all right? So what would you say is the difference between an affair and a loving, intimate relationship? One word or even a phrase. Love, okay. All right. So, so people in an affair, they don't have love. Okay, so so it's not a love is a love is, uh, a, a love is uh, so the, the different kinds of love in in the Greek Koine Greek language that the Bible was written in. Now since that, there's been other you know the Greek has expanded the same way our English has expanded and gotten new words. But when they wrote the Word of God, Koine Greek had four words for love, and three of them are in the Bible. The first one, eros, isn't even in the Bible because eros is the word we get the word erotic from, and it's a me love. I love me. I love me, 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 and if I can get pleased or have what I want out of this, then boom, we're good, all right? That's not even in the Word of God. Another one is storge love, which is the love that a mama has or a daddy has for their natural child. Anybody know about Mama Bear? Yeah, Julie, you know, you got, is there a love you have for your kids? You would like tangle with Arnold Schwartz, whoever, it doesn't matter, a whole army to protect your kid. That's storge love. It's a natural love built in there. But then we get into phileo love. Phileo love is Philadelphia. It's an us love. So it is in the Bible. We are supposed to have this brotherly us love, meaning, you know, I love you, you love me, I love you, you love me, and, and we try to please each other in this brotherly love. That is the best that non-believers can actually have, is, is a phileo love. And we're supposed to have that. But if that's all you have, what happens when the other person Hey, Emily and Skylar, if you guys have a phileo love and us love, and what, you know, well, Skylar pleases me and I please Skylar. How many of y'all have been married and have had times where your spouse did not please you? Come on, have the guts. Oh, I've seen some people raise, oh, raise your hand. You're human, right? Y'all ain't got no guts, do you? You're like, no, it happens. But you're believers, you got more than phileo love. If all you have is phileo love, 
then guess what? That's what the world has. You don't please me, and I don't please you. You know what? Let's split up, and let's go start all over again with somebody else. That makes a lot of sense. Man, how many, how many years y'all got in each other right now? Yeah, 20-something. They don't even know. Time flies when you're having fun. Man, you probably got it down to the hour and minute, don't you, Brad? No. 20-something, all right. If you guys split up, dude, you would have to, it would take you 20 years to get where you're at with somebody else. Just stick it out, man. I'm telling you. So phileo love, that's an us love, and that is a good love to have. Don't you want a mate that pleases you or someone? And it can even be friendships that we have, like in our disc golf group, man. There's a phileo love there. But believers can have something else. It's called eros love, which is what you're talking about. I mean, not eros love, but agape love. Agape love is, is, a, is a you love, all right? So eros love is a me love. Phileo love is an us love, but agape love is a you love. Man, I love you, Terry, no matter what. I'm not talking, don't look at me that way, dude. It's not like a gay thing or nothing. I'm just saying, dude, I love you. Man, I, and you know why I love you? Not for anything you've done, because God gave me the ability to love you. That's what happens when we're believers. God is love. Are you worth loving to God? How many of y'all like put your, put your uh, you know, you, you did your righteous deeds and good deeds. And God, oh, good job. I love you now. <laughs> you know, God looks down and said, wow, what a great day. I love you. Do you know God's love for us is perfect, right? So can he ever love you more, ever love you less? No. And does he love you based on your performance? No, he loves you because he is love. And when we become believers, he puts that love in us. And when we walk in the spirit, we love each other. In fact, what we even learned Wednesday night, Fernando, you remember Wednesday night? That was a tough one. We're not supposed to love our friends. We're supposed to love who? Our enemies. Literally love our enemies. That's what he said. And I'm not preaching on that today. I got a whole long way to go and it's 1030 right now. But I'm just saying, Terry's like, oh, I should have had two bottles of water today. No, but, oh, it, 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 and so this is a love that God gives us for the other person. You can tell whether you are filled with the Spirit or not by how you love others. You can talk about God all you want, but if you don't love others, especially the ones he's brought you in the special relationship, dude, you don't love God. And I'm just telling you what Scripture says. So if you want to love others, fall in love with God. So you're saying in a relationship, there is that agape love. In an intimate relationship, that's what I'm saying. Only believers can have that. The best a non-believer can have is, is a phileo love. I can love you as long as you please me. And that can work, but believers have that commit, that agape love. But in order to have that, you have to stay committed to Christ, right? You have to stay committed to Christ. Man, has there ever been a time you woke up next to this man and he wasn't very lovable? Yeah. How about her? Yeah, I'm just saying. And at that point, you look down at your wedding ring and you say, God, give me the ability to love this person that's not lovable right now. But the source is God. And so, so there it is. Why, why would you not just walk out? It, why would you go through the trouble of asking God and saying, God, give me the ability to love? Because you have a, what is that called that the world's kind of shy on? Begins with C-O and ends with commitment. Commitment. So in, in, in an affair, is there a commitment? No, there's no commitment, dude. You know what? If it's good for me right now, it's good for me now. If it's good, hey, is it good for us? Yeah, it's good. You know, hey, is this, and I'm not even talking, check this out. I deal with a lot of people in these condos here who are too old to have a sexual affair. 
I'm just saying, no, I'm just going to be blunt. Everybody thinks, oh, well, we didn't do anything physically. Like, dude, you can't. I'm just saying. It's not about just physical stuff. It's mental. If you're in a relationship with somebody, if you're in a relationship and you're emotionally attached, you're in an affair. I don't care what sex they are, if they're male, female, whatever. And by the way, it's the only two God recognizes and invented. But if it's emotional or if it's mental, it doesn't have to be physical to count. In other words, Emily, do you want Skylar one day to be in an emotional relationship with some other woman? No, that's an affair. What if he's, we didn't do anything. Well, big deal, you did too. Mentally, emotionally, you did. You want him committed to who? You, and the only way he can be committed to you is if he's committed to God and in all of that. And that's how it works. So there's that commitment. All right, Steve, uh, you know I was going to call on you, and you can have a read and give me the answer. What, what else is the difference between, would you say, between an affair and an intimate, loving relationship? The what? Servant leadership. Servant leadership. So your goal in life is to serve her, and her goal in life is to serve you. And that's how you operate. So it's not, again, it's that agape love. It's not a me love. It's not an us love. It's a what kind of love? It's a you love. Oh, but what if, okay, no, no. What if, dude, I'm not doing that for her because she's not going to do that for me. How many of y'all ever experienced, how many of y'all saw that in your neighbors or your people in the country? Not obviously in your own relationship. (laughs) (laughs) Y'all Seriously, how many of y'all did not? I'm not doing that for them because they don't do nothing for me. I'm not, Jack, Destiny, you ever do that? Yes, good. Thank you for not lying in church like the rest of these yahoos in here. I'm just saying. That's when we're not filled with the Spirit in that situation. And so there's an unconditional love. There's There's a commitment, and you know because you're serving others. It's about the other person. And, 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 and what else? Anyone else? Anyone else uh, I can call on over here? And Chris and Tara, you can hear, whoever wants to answer, man. What would you say the difference between ha- having an affair and having a committed relationship? D- D- Tara, he's, he's the shy one. You're the one who talks. Come on. And, <laughs> trust? Oh, trust. Yeah, that's huge. Exactly. Trust is huge. In fact, that's the foundation. If you can't, don't have trust, dude, you can't build anything else in there. And that trust comes from a commitment that you've made to each other and you've made to God. And so, again, what are some, let me ask you just a simple question. What's something that would, what is something, Chris, that she could do to break your trust? How about become another dude? All right, I'm just saying. It's like, yeah, that's what, I'm just going real easy right now. But you know what I'm saying? There's things you can do to break that trust. And if you don't have that, you don't have that trust, man. You, you have no foundation for anything in here. So, so in our relationships, all right, I got to ask Steve and Chrissy, what, what would you guys say is the difference between an affair and, that you've seen in the condos, man? You can just tell firsthand how you keep track of everything as your cats roll. You're sitting there doing work as a cat's roll. What is that thing y'all have for your cat? A catio. Anybody know what a catio is? Dude, you, yeah, you sell him probably. Did you buy it from her? Dude, he's there. He has something he can throw his cat in, in the condo, and the cat runs around all over, but it's like the cat in the bubble or something. I don't know, man. 
talk to them if your cat needs exercise and can't get it. All right, but anyway, so what's something as you're sitting there watching your cat and you're looking at everybody in the condo, oh, they're having an affair. What would be a dead giveaway? It'd be a dead giveaway on an affair as opposed to an intimate relationship. Yeah, or a dead giveaway for an for a, a intimate relationship. Say that? A bond, okay. Yeah, and, and what, if, what if in the condo, you, you see somebody and they open the door and they're like, come on, come on. Secrecy, right? A secret little relationship as opposed to them walking arm in arm, walking right in. Yeah, you, you want to, what'd you say? I know, that's why I was asking you. You live in a condo, it's there. And it might not even have been physical. It was just emotional, I'm just saying. But, but yeah, it's something you got to hide. It's something that you're just not wide open with, you know, in all that. Terry and Fernanda, all right, and, and whatever. What would you say is a difference between an affair and an intimate relationship? Jesus, yes, and we're going to end on that right there on the question. Yeah, because y'all are all right, but you got to have Jesus to have that intimate relationship there. So how many of you expect your spouse to have an intimate relationship with you as opposed to an affair with you? How many of y'all would expect that, right? Yeah. How many are like, no, dude, affair's okay, it's cool. I really don't want to hang out with them that much anyways, you know? <laughs> we, we just kind of hang out with everyone. No, no. So if you expect that kind of a commitment, and what do you think God expects? Because we as the church, He's the groom and we are the what? We are the bride. And I always ask people all the time, when we get talking and God brings it up, it's like, if you were as faithful to your spouse as you are to God, would you still be married? And when you look at that, ooh, I don't know, because I'm over here having an affair with my job. I'm over here having an affair with my hobby. I'm over here having an affair with my group of guys or my whatever. I'm doing all these things. I have all these lives, and my, and my spouse gets whatever's left over. You know, as opposed, it, that, that's an affair. You don't have a commitment to your to, to, to your spouse. Man, here's the way priorities are. I'll give you something out of Genesis chapter 26. Somebody showed me a long time ago. Not gospel, but you can find it all over the Bible. It says, finally, Isaac, when he got to a place, Jacob, or I'm sorry, Abraham, you can, you can track him by altars. Where he built an altar every went. It, Isaac built a well. Isaac was having all kinds of trouble, all kinds of trouble. Finally, he said, God, where do you want me to build a well? Oh, I'm glad you asked. He said, boom, build one here. So you know what he did? He had all these cattle, all these sheep, all these everything. He had a giant family. And, and how many of y'all would, first of all, take care of your business just to get that all set? How many of y'all would just take care of your family first to get them to shut up? You know, because they're all whining. But you know what was the first thing Isaac did in Genesis 26? When, he find, when God blessed him with the well, what do you think is the first thing he did? Who did he honor first? God. He built, he built an altar. Next, he, next thing he did is he pitched his tent. Who's he taking care of there? His family or his business? Taking care of his family. And then he dug a well to take care of his business. Don't get your priorities messed up. In these earthly relationships, but especially in your relationship with God. We can't get it messed up. Because again, Al, man, I, I wish I could remember your verbiage, but you have verbiage like nobody else has verbiage. So, and, and all of that. But what's the name of that book you're reading? Yeah. 
insanity of obedience. But if you, you know why they call it insanity of obeying God like that? Because that's not what the normal believer does. That's not what, and, 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 but when you do, there's such freedom in that. And all of a sudden, because you make God your number one priority, he says in Matthew 6, he said, man, don't worry about what you're going to wear, where you're going to live, don't worry about what you're going to eat, don't worry about, oh, that's what people don't have me worry about. He said, but you, Matthew 6, you know this verse, guys. He said, but you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And what is added to you? Dude, that's the insanity of obedience. Don't, man, faith, if you knew what the next step was, Julie, if you know the next step, it's not faith. Oh, okay, I'll, I'll go do the next step, you know. That's not faith if you already know what it is. You, you got to do, man, sometimes it does seem like insanity, doesn't it, Al? You know, in all of that. But God gets top priority in life. God, your family, your job. You get, and what's screaming the loudest out of all three of those, Terry? Usually the job. <laughs> well, you got three girls, so that's a toss-up right there. All right. <laughs> yeah. And so you're busy. I got to work. Got to pay the bills. Got to feed the babies. <laughs> and, uh, you know, there it is. And so, boom, there it is. So whatever job doesn't take out of you and suck out of you, what gets next? Then your family. And then whatever doesn't get sucked out from your family, then you get to give to God. And when you're retired, it's way better, isn't it, Steve? <laughs> no, it's the same priority challenge. Again, the devil's always going to be challenging you to make God number one. But if you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, everything you need will be added to you. So here's what's happening in Romans chapter 3 as we're talking. We're talking about revival in Romans. And you can have revival. Every one of these sections we're looking at in Romans will challenge us to live differently than the way we do, to see things different than the way we do. And if we will see it like God wants us to see it, and our commitment will deepen with him, we will indeed have revival. So today, as we look at revival through Romans, here's my question for you. Are you in an intimate relationship with Christ, or are you in simply an affair? And that's something only you can ask, you can know. But I want you to, you remember all the things we talked about, about what a commitment, what, what, what was required to have an intimate relationship versus an affair? So you start asking the Holy Spirit, especially when you leave today, ask the Holy Spirit, Say, am I in an affair with you or am I in a committed, deep relation, loving, growing relationship with you? And you figure it out. And if your earthly partner slash spouse will not accept an affair, what makes you think God Almighty will? In fact, we looked in Matthew 7 last week. And he said, man, when I divided them, he said, he said a whole bunch of them were like many of them, most of them. They were saying, wait, wait, whoa, whoa, didn't I preach in your name? Didn't I cast out demons in your name? Didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't we do great, mighty miracles in your name? Dude, we did all those things. And he's like, yeah, but I never knew you. Be gone from me, you workers of lawlessness. You did all these things in my name, but you had an affair with me. You didn't have a committed relationship with me. How could you expect God Almighty to accept you, to want you when you won't make that commitment to him. And it's a commitment. It's an all or nothing the same way. Marriage, hey, Emily, we get up there. Hey, uh, so Skylar, will you take this woman to be your love and stay faithful only to her? Well, I'll do the whole rich and poor and all that, but I ain't just staying faithful to her. 
what do you do on your ideas? I don't, <laughs> right? You know, you're not going to accept that. What makes you think God Almighty would accept? Oh, he's mercy, he's great. We're going to touch on that. Because when Paul was getting ready to go to Rome, and he's writing this, he wanted to go to Rome, and he's writing to the Romans, he got a lot of opposition from real religious people. He got opposition from the Jews who were like, no, it is a strict, legalistic, boom, you got to do this, you got to do this, got to do this. Paul, you're preaching some easy believism. You're preaching some, some heresy that, man, any, you can do anything and be saved. And he's like, no, no, that's not what I'm preaching. All the other people are like, man, we have all these religions, and we have more rules. We have stricter guidelines and because it's all about external things that they do. It's not an internal thing. And so he says, okay, I'm going to address, at the beginning of Romans chapter 3, he says, I'm going to address three things that I'm hearing you guys complaining about how I'm preaching in Christianity. And what I'm saying is you guys have a misconception. In fact, I am looking, I am preaching that you have an intimate, loving, exclusive relationship with Jesus Christ and him only over everything else in life. You guys are the one preaching about an affair because you can go to the temple and do this and then you can go to work and do this and you can go to your neighborhood and do this and you can go to the wherever and do that. It's like, no, I'm preaching on an exclusiveness. So I'm going to address three things, he says, that are misconceptions that y'all have about Christianity. I want to get this straightened out. And unfortunately, I think these three things that are misconceptions have crept into our theology. And that's why we can have revival through Romans. So check this out. Three things. First one, they were kind of saying, if religion and its rituals don't save me, remember we talked about that? He's saying, hey, you're going to the temple, that ain't saving you. Doing those sacrifices, that's not going to save you. Knowing the word of God, that's not going to save you. What saves you is you realizing you're a sinner. You've already earned a free trip to hell by being imperfect. But God in his love has given you the ability to surrender your life to him and put him in charge. And now you have an eternity that's bliss. But you choose not to because you don't want to let anyone else be the boss. So in this, he says, man, he told them, religion's not going to save you. Getting circumcised isn't going to save you. In fact, in Galatians, I told you last week, Paul said, y'all are counting on circumcision, cutting the tip off? He said, if you think that's going to save you, cut the whole thing off. That's what Paul says. It ain't going to save you either. So if religion and rituals don't save us, if going to church doesn't save us, Chuck, then why bother? That's what they're saying. Why bother? You know, when I was reading this, I'm thinking, man, I'm thinking, why bother take your kids to church? Why bother taking your teenager? Why bother coming to church? Why bother even in, in telling the next generation down there? Why bother having kids learn about the Word of God? Why bother? Because one day it's going to benefit. Chuck, I'm thinking of, man, Chuck said when they were up in Ormond, that his dad, his dad hated surfing because it was so irresponsible. It was like the worst thing ever. And what did your dad say? If you would put as much effort into ball golf as you do surfing, you could be a pro. <laughs> did, that, did, did you turn into a golfer? No. <laughs> and, uh, but, but in that, so, so his dad, when there was a good swell, would take him and his twin brother who loved surfing. They would go to church, and his dad would take the route by the beach and go slow so they could see the beautiful waves. <laughs> and, and, then, and then he would take them to church. But your parents... 
Gladys, man, when we did that, we did the funeral recently, and your whole family was together, and you shared what you admired about your parents. Your parents grew, they, they grew you guys up it, it, with a, a biblical knowledge. They, did, they told them, this is right, this is wrong. They put it all out there. They were raised with those morals. Chuck, did, it, did you always live by what your mama said? No. Gladys, did he live by what his mama said? No. And, and, and no. But did it come back later to benefit you? Yeah, and the reason I'm picking on Chuck is because he comes over on Monday nights. We eat dinner, and then we're online, and we have people from all over online with us. And every Bible study I'm in with, even on Wednesdays with Chuck, Chuck always brings up, well, my mom used to say, <laughs> my mom used to say, my mom used to say, and I'm just like, yes! So know what you're pumping in your kids if you truly believe it's the truth. Live it so they can see it. But man, share it with them. My mom used to share it with me and share it with me, and I was like, yeah, I'm good. I don't. And she used to actually reword the scriptures. I didn't even know they were scriptures because I didn't know it was scripture. I didn't get a Bible until I was 25 years old. And she'd give me all these things. I go, oh, Confucius said. Y'all remember that, that show, Confucius, with Grasshopper and all that? Y'all remember that show? Kung Fu, I think that's what it was called, Kung Fu. And I'd go, oh, Confucius say, and I'm lucky my mom didn't smack the mess out of me for that. But she was pumping it in me. I didn't get saved till seven years after she died. After she died, she never knew me saved. She had faith, and I can't wait to see her in heaven. I can't wait. I got goosebumps right now. When I started reading the Word of God, I'm like, oh, that wasn't Confucius. That was Mama Fucius. It was like, I got it. So I'm just saying, man, it doesn't return void. Man, you train up a child in the way they should go. They won't drift far from it, and you're like, oh, I did. <laughs> no, you're, you're, if there's a time for you to come back, at least you know the way back. At least you know. If you don't teach them anything, what's this world teaching them? Garbage, dude. You see society. In fact, most of Christianity right now does not have a biblical worldview. You go talk to pastors, and I know I'm with them. The majority, whenever uh, Barna does a thing, Barna does all the Christian research. You, they talk to them and they say, "What is your, you know, what is your view on the most of Christianity today, starting with the pastors and the denominations and the churches, do not have a biblical worldview." In other words, they don't look and see that the Word of God is the final authority. It's kind of a guideline, kind of like the speed limit on Indian River Drive now, praise the Lord. <laughs> but we need, it's not a guideline, dude. So if religion and rituals don't save me, then what's the point? Look what Paul's going to say in the next scripture. He says, it's to reveal God to you through his word so that when you want a relationship, when you choose to surrender yourself, guess what? You can have one. So look at the scripture, Romans 3, verses 1 and 2. Check this out. So they're like, okay, getting circumcised, that was not a pleasurable experience. Going to temple, slaughtering cows, all these things, wasn't great. Well, what's the benefit of being a Jew? We've been more persecuted than anybody. Well, that's because y'all did not hold up your end of the contract, is what he's kind of told the Jews later. But he said, benefit? You guys brought the word of God to people. You brought the Messiah to people. You had first access. If you're the ones bringing it in, dude, it should rub off on you. If it's, it, you know the word of God, 
You know who God is in God's Word. Hey, the Word of God, is it about you or is it about God? Who is it about? It's God. And it's probably that took you a while to answer that because today we so often just make the Word of God about us. Ooh, how can I benefit from this? How can this help me? How can this fix this? How can this do this? No, you know what the Word of God really is? You learn about an awesome, mighty God who can do anything. And then you realize how you can have a relationship with him. And if you have an awesome God that knows everything, can do anything, and is everywhere, ow, you're in the middle of Haiti with no resources, but you've got that God. Does it matter what comes up against you? No, it doesn't matter. And it's the same thing here. Only what happens here is we've got plan B. We got Publix. <laughs> we got Walmart. We got Amazon. We got whatever. We can go buy it. We can fix it. We can come up with our own solution. No, man. That's what theology, man, Brandon, if you have got a giant, almighty person walking next to you, does it matter what obstacle you come up against? No. And the, so the word of God, what difference does it make? If it's not going to save me, why do I have to listen to this stuff? Because one day when you're ready to receive it, dude, you will know the person that wants to have an intimate relationship with you like no one else. And that's almighty God. He wants an intimate relationship with each of you. That's what he wants. Jack, if you have an intimate, growing relationship with God, and destiny has an intimate, growing relationship with God, what's it going to be like when you all get together? Dude, it's going to be good, isn't it? Uh, iron sharpens iron, right? Oh, man. Hey, y'all sitting over there should come over here. There's actually cold air coming out of this one. I might start preaching from here, but, uh, no. <laughs> but, but literally, iron, iron sharpens iron. So if you take two pieces of iron and start clacking them together, Matthew, what happens, bro? Yeah, they get sharper and sparks fly, right? But they get sharper, yeah. But now, Matthew, you take a piece of iron and a watermelon, <laughs> and you clack them together, what happens? Do either one of them get sharper? No, the iron gets duller and the watermelon gets hurt. And you know what? That's what happens when you got two people growing in the Lord. Two people growing in the Lord. Here's you, here's the other, and you're growing. What happens when you get closer to God? You get closer to each other. But guess what? If one's growing and one's not, that one's getting sharp like iron. This one's getting just staying like watermelon. Have you ever been in a relationship where you feel like you're being picked on? You ever feel like, no, I'm serious. You ever been in a relationship? Oh, man, this all they do is criticize everything I do. Well, it's like, no, dude, you're a free or watermelon. Start becoming iron, dude, because the same thing they were doing before, clacking, boom, 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 making sparks fly, was awesome. But now one of y'all becomes a watermelon. That's a mess, isn't it? And it's not comfortable. So if you feel like you're the one getting picked on, you're the one that's getting left behind, it's probably because you're being a watermelon. Start growing in the Lord. But what happens if both y'all become watermelons? <laughs> How many y'all remember Gallagher? <laughs> you remember the show Gallagher or that, that comedian? Yeah, dude, that's what you got. You got watermelons, dude. You're both like, your life's a mess because you're clacking watermelons together. What would happen if we went to Nelson's Produce and me and you started having watermelon wars like we do with Easter eggs? You think Nelson's would be happy? No, they would not be happy because we'd have watermelon juice everywhere. So the answer is not to go find another watermelon. <laughs> the answer is to start growing in the Lord. And, and that comes from the Word of God. So what advantage has the Jew? Or what value is there in circumcision? Well, every one of those things are supposed to bring you closer to God. 
the Word of God reveals who God is, and the bigger your God is, the smaller your problems are. Amen? The bigger your problems are, you're kind of showing yourself who your God is. Man, because God is almighty, and if He's got all the might, Chuck, how much might do you have? None. Not if He's almighty. He's got it all. Tap into Him. So then what advantage is the Jew? What is the value of circumcision? Well, none if all it is is an outward example, but it's supposed to show you how awesome and mighty God Almighty is. Uh, oh, sorry. I want one. Much in every way, he says, to begin with, the Jews were entrusted with the oracles of God. So the very first thing he brings up is what I'm telling you. The Jews had the word of God. If all you have is the Word of God, why do you think people want to take... How many of y'all, whenever you sit down to read the Word of God, has the, have, you get distracted? Stuff comes up. Phones ring. Stuff happens. Satan does not want you reading the Word of God. He'd rather you... Li- he'll let you listen to podcasts. <laughs> I say nothing's wrong with all that. But I am saying there's no replacement for you reading the Word of God and letting the Holy Spirit of God interpret it for you and make it applicable for your life. That's more important than listening to preaching. I mean, man, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta eat. You gotta eat all the. T- How often you gotta eat, Jack? Yeah, you got just. Does he? Is that true, Jack? How often you eat, Jack? Well, just about every day. Where's the last day you missed a day? <laughs> okay about a month ago all right yeah 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 but it ain't a normal procedure dude so it's not just about it's every day how many times a day probably at least three or four times would you agree with that yeah yeah that so that if that's physical imagine spiritual so he said man so what good is it bringing my kids to church they don't listen what good is it tell talking to them about this what good is it you know what man <laughs> i'm just gonna tell you when I started finally reading the Word of God, man, I, 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 when I started reading it, I couldn't believe how much my parents had exposed me to the Word of God. Unbeknown- they were tricky, dude. She reworded it to make it sound like Confucius. <laughs> but it was like, oh my goodness. And if I would have just applied it back then, but I had it. It was built in. You take the word of God out of a culture, you have no hope. Because the word of God is the final authority. And if you t- settle for anything less than the final authority, then you've got to settle for everybody else's versions of their final authority. And nobody gets along, and you have civil war, and you have chaos. And when you're divided, then somebody can come and conquer you, and you do what they say. Why don't you just let Christ conquer you to begin with? So, man, what benefit is it going to church? What benefit is it if it ain't going to save me? Well, you're going to learn who God is. And the bigger you learn who God is and the mightier he is, the more you realize you can put in his hands. And he's not saying, oh, do this, do this, do this. He's just saying, get to know me and jump on my back. Jump on my back. I'm doing it. You just take go along for the ride. So he says, man, the Jews, you guys are entrusted with the oracles of God. So that's question one. Next one. They were like, well, you know what? All through Judaism, all through history, s- s- most people didn't even believe God. Most people didn't believe God. We were told that in, Ma- in Matthew chapter 7 last week, that most people are going to go through the wide path that's easy, that leads to destruction. 
and very few are going to go through the narrow path, which is hard, he says, but it's the one that leads to heaven. That's Matthew chapter 7. And, and there's plenty of, we see it in Romans, you see it all through. So, so, well, most people don't even believe. And in fact, in Rome, they had so many gods. I wish Gavin was here. We were playing disc golf. Gavin was telling me about, oh yeah, college, I had to take Roman, theo- Roman mythology. I mean, I took Roman, learned about Roman and Greek mythology, right? You know, and the different versions. Yeah, so many gods. He said, yeah, their gods were messed up. I said, because they made them like themselves, <laughs> You know, all these gods. So that's what they're like. You know, you believe in this, Paul. We got more gods than you're trying to tell us by this one. We got more gods. And then the Jews are like, the God you're trying to tell us to believe in, nothing like the God we've been believing in. Yeah, it's the exact same one. You're just not seeing it from the right perspective. And so in there, they're like, since so many people don't believe in God, why should I believe in him? If the majority doesn't believe, if everybody in your family blew God off and didn't believe in God, should you? Why? Because the majority is usually wrong. That's why democracy ain't real good. We're not a democracy, we're a republic, by the way. I'll just throw that in. But democracy is nothing but mob rule. Do you think that most people believe in God right now? Now, God doesn't believe in atheists, so, but they've repressed it. They've shoved us so back. We learned that in Romans chapter 1 about what happened in there. And they made their own gods to replace God, but they still know there's God. Watch them anytime a rainbow comes or a thunderstorm or even the news when there's a big hurricane. Oh, <gasps> We like to lift these people up in prayer. You know, they start talking about prayer and, and God because he's just so powerful. But the majority of people do not believe in God. Do you think more people are believing in God in America now than, say, 10 years ago? No. Do you think people are believing in God, the biblical God, that they're going to continue? There's going to be more people believing or less people? What do you think? Less. It's, not, it's a no-brainer. Check out your condo. Check out even your own family. It's like, and why are many people, well, you know what, it just ain't cool. I'm not, you know what, I got other things to do. You want to know, Barna, man, it was probably about 10 years ago or so, Barna did a research thing and he said one of the most unchurched places in the United States was from Fort Pierce to Miami. That was the most unchurched area of the United States, right? No, dude, I'm in a packed church. Everybody's in church. no. How many of y'all ever skipped church and been out on the sandbar? There you go. And how many people were out on the sandbar, bro? Way more than they were in church. Right now, you can get aerial footage. They'll be like, oh, isn't it beautiful? We have water wall boats. I'm like, no. That's why we go Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. But <laughs> seriously, you go look. And you know what? This not, my generation, the generation for me said, you know what? Dude, my parents, whole leave it to beaver thing. They went to church. What good is it? Man, you know what? We got better things to do with our Sunday than going to church. In fact, we go go to church. We're going to find one that's going to get out early so it just don't take much of my time. You know, well, I'm just going to tell you, if we don't scare you off, welcome to the family. If you're looking for a different church, I will help you find it. Not right now, Roger. No, I'm just, no, I'm not, but, yeah, I got you, bro. But, but yeah, again, Man, I want to be around people who want to be around God. I want to be around people who want to know God and want to talk about God and hear about God. And, man, that's what I want to be. I, I don't care how long it takes, you know, in, in all of that, as long as that's what we're doing. But anyways, since many don't believe in God, why should I? And so they're not teaching their kids. They're not bringing it up. We're becoming less. In, and when there's no such thing as a Christian nation, by the way. 
There's not even a Christian business. There's not even a Christian family. There's Christian individuals. And if they're made up of Christians, then that's why you would say, oh, that's a Christian organization. Because it's got those principles, but the fact is you don't become one by being part of that. You become a Christian by surrendering your life to Christ. But since so many don't believe in God, why should I? Nobody else does this. Nobody else wants. Now, why should you? You know what Paul says? Because he's faithful. Gary, is there anybody else faithful? No. The only thing, I might be faithful to keep you here till 1130, aren't I? No, <laughs> that's about it. They're, they're faithful. God is faithful. He's going to do what he said. How many people, Jack, how many people you know in the world that are faithful? I don't know any. I love you. I love you. I, I, I know some of y'all are close, but none of y'all are faithful. Every one of y'all could let me down. I'm going to let every one of y'all down at some point, not on purpose, but God will never let you down. He is faithful. Look at what he says in here. So you want to trust, you want to have somebody who's a faithful person in your life that knows everything, can do anything, that's everywhere, and, and, and that loves you more than anyone in the world could love you? Dude, here he is. Does it matter if anybody else believes in him or not? No, if you want this, here he is. And besides, God's not the one up for judgment as to whether he truly exists or not. So look at this, Romans 3, verse 3 and 4. He says, what if some were unfaithful, meaning they didn't believe in God, they didn't do things God's way? Does their faithlessness nullify the faithfulness of God? So if a bunch of people don't believe in God, does that mean God doesn't exist? No. If a bunch of people all say God's full of it, God's just a bunch of, oh, what did Stephen Hawking say? Anybody know his quote? He said, oh, God is a is a fairy tale for those people who are afraid of the dark. Stephen Hawking is dead right now. And if he didn't change, he's got a much different perspective than he had while he's on this planet. If the people who are alive right now knew what the dead know, everybody would follow Christ. Amen? What if some... So, I don't... If the whole world... Your whole family, your everything. That's what JJ was praying about. There's people right now that are going to give their life to Christ, and their whole family, their whole community is going to ostracize them, kick them out, stone them, kill them. Does that make God not faithful? No. It doesn't change anything about God. God is who He is, and He even says that this is what's going to happen. As it gets closer and closer to Him coming back, less and less people are going to follow Him. They're even going to have a form of religion, He says, but there's going to be no power in it. They want to hear stuff that tickles their ears, not stuff that brings conviction, and then that conviction brings encouragement. You have courage in something with real substance. He said, they don't want to hear that. They just want to be entertained and go. What if, if some were unfaithful, does that faithfulness nullify the faithfulness of God? What's the answer? No. So he says, by no means. He said, let God be true, though everyone were a liar, as it is written. Everyone who says God doesn't exist, God's not who the Word of God says, they're liars. But God is true. So if he's given you the ability to believe that what he says is true, that ability comes from him and believe it. If you don't have that ability, man, I'd love to be praying for you to have that ability because you can't have that ability unless he gives you that ability. And that ability, if he gives it to you, he said it's like the wind, Jesus, when he was talking to Nicodemus. 
Because you don't know when it's coming, you don't know when it's leaving, but you know when it's there. So if you have the ability to believe in him right now, that he's it, he is the way, the truth, the life, he's the only way, go for it. It doesn't matter what anybody else in the entire world says. The view, I don't know, something happened on the view, I don't know, whatever. I'm just saying, what if you got your theology from the view? I'm just saying. <laughs> what if you got it from TV? What if you got it from... I'm just saying, you get it from his word, you get it from him. By no means, Paul said, let God be true, though everyone were a liar. And here, listen to this last verse in here, that you may be justified in your words. He's talking about God, that God be justified in his word and prevail when he is judged. Do you know there's people judging God right now? (laughs) What do you think about that? Brad, what do you think about that? People judging God. If you were God and people are judging you, if you were God and they're judging you right now, what would you do? Do you think you'd chuck a little few little lightning bolts down, you know, a few little, you know, and they're, whoa, you know. <laughs> yeah, I think I'd try to put them in place. But you know what? It's not time. Right now is a time where he's giving people grace and mercy and love. And he wants people to come to him that way. Chuck, we've been in Revelation in the tribulation period. It's a little different, isn't it? He is throwing down the lightning bolts. He is tearing up the earth. And it's the people who wouldn't listen to him with love, mercy, and grace. Countless numbers come to him because they give up. Uncle, (laughs) I give up. I'm yours. Don't make him have to do that with you. They're judging God. And so the psalmist is saying, when they judge you, God, let you be found righteous. And you guys know he will. So the third thing, check this out. <laughs> Why not just sin? This is what's called easy. This is called hyper grace, if you want a theological term for all of this right now. But they were saying, okay, Paul, if God's glorified by taking messed up situations and making them right, then wouldn't I be doing God a favor by making my situation more messed up? Let me make messed up situations. Let me just violate God's principles and do the wrong thing and keep messing things up because God's going to fix it and I'll give my life to Christ at some time and he'll forgive me and, 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 and everything will be good. So the more I mess up, the more I show that the truth is right and God's going to fix it. This is prevalent in theology today. It doesn't matter what I do. I got grace. I'm going to heaven. You know what grace is? Grace is the desire and ability to do what God has called you to do. It's not a license to sin. In fact, if you think it's that, you don't have it. Grace is where he gives you the desire and ability to do what he's asking you to do. And when you follow him, he keeps giving you that grace, and through faith you apply it. So why not sin if God's going to fix it? Forgive me and make himself good, good in the process. Because isn't that what a lot of times we praise? Oh, yeah, dude, I strung out on drugs, and I was here, and man, and, you know, and God rescued me. Praise God. That's where I was. But for a moment, do you think that's what I want happen to my grandchildren? No, but it makes God look good. I got a testimony. Is that what we want? Oh, this was destroyed. This was messed up. But God fixed it. Amen. But is that what you want your loved ones to go through? Is that what God? No. So to purposely sin and say, well, God's going to fix it. He's going to forgive me. And he's going to look good. He's going to get glorified. So what difference does it make of how I act? That was what they were saying to Paul. That's what you're preaching. 
He said, oh, no, I am preaching just the opposite of that. Watch. He said, oh, we'll, go, we'll look at that. Oh, no, I got to read this part. Sorry. All right, so let me start over again. Why not sin if God's going to fix it, forgive me, and make himself look good in the process? Because, here's Paul's response. Because sin is judged. It will be judged at some point. And ultimately, it will be condemned if it's not forgiven, if it's not thrown on the cross of Christ. And it's not conducive to an intimate relationship. So I cover this with the blood of Jesus, and this is not happening, but I've been picking on Emily and Skylar. And y'all get married and have this loving relationship. And all of a sudden, Skylar, you're working and everything. And, uh, and, and Emily knows you can't live without her. And she can do whatever she wants, and you're going to put up with it. And you're going to take, now that ain't right. So all of a sudden, she you know, goes out doing things you don't approve of, and, and she's doing different things, and you like tell her, I don't want you to do it, but, but she knows you're going to take her back. So, man, oh, you know, and people are like, Emily, you shouldn't be acting that way. You shouldn't be doing that in this relationship. Oh, it doesn't matter because he loves me, and he's going to accept me back no matter what. And he's going to forgive me, and he's going to, what do you all think about that in a relationship? Emily, you'd be a scumbag to do that. Yes. <laughs> That's the same as this theology. No, why would you not do that? And especially if he's so good to take you back when you do mess up. He's showing you how much he loves you. Is that the way we treat somebody we love? Is that the way we treat somebody we're in a loving, intimate relationship with? No. When we do screw up, when we do repent, and we do ask for forgiveness and they give us, does that mean now we can keep just doing that? No, it means I got a break. I got a break, and I'm going to take advantage of this break. I got a second chance or a third chance, and I'm going to take advantage of this. And boom, I want to do it the right way now. That's what happens in a loving relationship. Terry, you ever mess up in your loving, intimate relationship with your wife? Ever? Fernanda, does he ever mess up? Do you mess up? Hey, kids, does your mom ever mess up? No, I'm just, I don't want to drag y'all how many of y'all have messed up in your loving, intimate relationship? And I'm not saying to what degree or anything, but how many of you messed up? And you have to admit and say, I'm sorry. Man, forgive me. This was not the way it was supposed to be. Why do you do that? Because you love them and you want to reconcile and you don't want it to happen again. Why do we think it's okay with God? Because sin is going to be judged, ultimately condemned, and it's not conducive to an intimate relationship it's not how we treat someone we're truly in love with. It's how we treat someone we're having an affair with. And here's my point. Well, wait a minute. If I'm having an affair with another person, so the, I was waiting for one of y'all to say, well, an affair is having a relationship with someone you're not married to. But when you're having a relationship with someone you're not married to, guess what your marriage relationship becomes? An affair at best. It's no longer an intimate, loving relationship. It's an affair at best. And that's what it's like in this situation. You're having an affair with God. And that doesn't work out. He wants an intimate relationship, and God Almighty deserves that. He saved you. So check it out in Scripture. We'll bust through this part real quick because I just explained it all. But if our unrighteousness serves to show righteousness of God, in other words, I do the wrong thing, and the Word of God says this is the right thing, God gets glory because His situation works out and mine doesn't. What shall we say, that God is unrighteous to inflict wrath on us? Look, I just made God look good. <laughs> I just did the wrong thing and made God look good. 
Because it made, I brought darkness, but his light got to shine. So I made God look good. Bad theology, bad way to live life in all of this. And he said, Paul's saying, I'm saying this in a human way. This is not me. I'm trying to make an example here. He said, by no means. For then how could God judge the world? But if through my lie, God's truth abounds to his glory. So I lie, I do the wrong thing, but his truth is going to shine. So who wins? If I'm really, really bad and it gets exposed, then God's glory is there. So me doing wrong things is going to bring glory to God. That's what they were saying. I'm not telling you to do that. (laughs) How ridiculous. You don't make God, no sin makes God look good. And God doesn't need you to make him look good. God gives us opportunities to bring him glory. He said, why am I still being condemned as a sinner? Because you are a sinner. Because there's consequences that come with sin. And one day there's going to be judgment. There's a penalty for sin. Hey, any of y'all get a spanking of your kid? Spanking? You got a spanking? Yeah, for what What'd you do? I'm not wanting to know the specifics. I'm just saying you did something wrong, right? And there was a penalty. You got a spanking, right? All right. Um, so did you deserve a spanking? Yeah, you did. Uh, and, and, and Eric, you raised your hand, right? So you got a lot of spankings, right? Is that what you're saying? And, and you deserved them, right? Chuck, you got lots of spankings? You, yeah, dude. <laughs> How many of y'all heard, wait till your daddy gets home? <laughs> Anybody heard that one? Yeah. And Because and, mama wasn't good. I, don't ever laugh when your mom's spanking you. I'm just telling you, it's not a good idea. <laughs> but but so, so by sinning, you deserved a spanking. But the spanking's pretty harsh for your sin. And when Christ went to the cross... Between 12 and 3, when all the sins of the world were laid on him, your sins were laid. He took your spanking, and he gave you his righteous life. You have a choice one day. You can go take your own spanking, and none of y'all are going to survive. You, you, you can try to pay for your own sins, and you do not get to go to heaven. You spend It takes eternity in hell for you to do that. But if you give your life to Christ than what he did on the cross. He took your spanking. Anybody, anybody want someone else to take your spanking? Do you remember some spankings? Man, first grade. I know we don't have time for this, but I, I, first grade. I'm in St. Andrew's Catholic School, uniforms and everything, and, and, and they had a building like this, and there was a, 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 a little like patch of grass in between, and whenever anyone was going to get paddled, do you all remember corporal punishment? Anybody around when they actually paddled kids in school? Yeah, dude. Mr. Clark. Dude, he was a big dude, but I was only a little dude then, so I don't know how big he really was, but he was huge. He had a paddle, and you know, you heard about the infamous paddles, this wide, this long, and they had holes drilled in them so that when they swung them, it whistled. Anybody remember? Anybody have anything like that? Yeah, so just so you know, I ain't lying. That was Catholic school after nuns. Nuns weren't there anymore at this point, but anyways... Maura Swisher, she's my Facebook friend now, you can look her up and you can ask her about it, but Maura Swisher, I'm doing valuable artwork on my desk. Oh, I am drawing, I had a beautiful picture and she turned around and hit my arm and I scribbled on my paper. She messed up my artwork. Now what is a first grader expected to do at that point except punch Maura Swisher out and then write on her with the crayon? Second day of first grade. And when I went to go see Mr. Clark, I think I might have been one of the only first graders to ever go. (laughs) And I was pretty brass and bold. I don't know if you can imagine that. And I had no remorse 
So he took me in the middle of the grass area, and when everybody got paddled, everybody upstairs and downstairs came out. And I remember he said, grab your ankles. And I'm like, what? He's like, grab your ankles. And I'm like, what? Can you grab? I said, yeah. I grabbed my ankles. Bam! <laughs> After I heard the whistling. And just like the rest of us, after we get a spank, you think that was my last paddling? No, dude, I got immune to paddling. And then my fifth grade teacher, Wendell Warrington, he wrote this for me. And I had, y'all remember ever having to write I, 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 will, 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 not talk, talk, not talk. Well, that was already, that didn't work anymore. So fifth grade, he devised this for me. And to my knowledge, nobody else got it. But he said, it behooves me to pay attention during class because by being rude and obnoxious, my fellow students and I are unable to concentrate to the fullest extent of our abilities. <laughs> Y'all want to borrow that? You can have it. But I wrote it over 3,000 times in fifth grade because I just didn't learn. It was just dull. I just kept, you know, <laughs> there's no glory. What we should learn, and when, when we get corrected, the purpose of correction and punishment is not to get more, but it's, it's to say, I give up. I give up. I want to surrender my life to you, Lord. I'm tired of getting in trouble. Anybody here tired of getting in trouble? Raise your hand if you are. Thank you. Yeah. So if I seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, everything I need is added unto me at that point. That's why I got to do it. And the only way I can have that is through an intimate, loving relationship with the one who loves me more than anyone could ever love me. And that's God Almighty through Jesus Christ. Amen. Man, so why am I still being concerned? Because you're not making me look good. Was I making God look good in first grade there? How about fifth grade? And then I didn't even get into high school yet. That's why when I went to my 10th high school reunion, and now I'm an ordained pastor, they're like, what do you do now? I'm like, well, I'm a pastor. They're like, no, really, what do you do? <laughs> I'm like, I am. <laughs> you can ask my wife about that one. <laughs> they were blown away. They thought I just started a church somewhere or something. <laughs> well, we did, didn't we? No, but <laughs> at that time, I was working in conventional churches. So, man, anyways, he goes on. He said, and, and why not do evil that good may come as some people slanderously charge us? So they're telling Paul, you know, hey, this is what you're saying. It's okay for people because of grace, because of forgiveness, because of, of restoration. It's okay to do wrong things because God's going to work it out and he'll get glory. No. He said there's going to be condemnation. If that's your lifestyle, if that's the way you live, you better check out your salvation because you might not have it. So first of all, going back super quick on the review, if religion and its rituals don't save me, then what's the point to re reveal God to you so that one day that revelation can save you? Since so many don't believe in God, why should I? Because he is true. And if you want the real deal, that's who you believe in. Why not sin if God's going to fix it, forgive me, and make himself look good in the process? Well, because sin is judged and ultimately condemned and not conducive to an intimate relationship. It's not how we treat someone we're truly in love with. It's how we treat someone we're in an affair with. You want to know that you're saved. Man, how much does God love? Brandon, how much does God love you, bro? Can he love you anymore? Can he love you any less? No, regardless of what you do or don't do, he loves you perfectly. 
Is there anyone in the world like that? You're close, but no banana. I'm just saying. You, you are, but I'm just, but yours, mama. That's storge love. Yeah. But I'm just saying, if God loves you that much, man, what kind of love does he deserve back? What kind of love is he expecting back? How much of his how much of you do you want to be saved? <laughs> Well, I just want my left leg to be saved. No, no, no. You want all of you. You surrender all of you to him. So I'm just telling you, it's an important question you need to ask yourself. Do I have a loving, intimate relationship with him, which is what Matthew chapter 7 required, or am I just having an affair with him? I went through a period before I got saved. When things got rough, I got DUI in the Keys. Isla Murata driving on the wrong side of the road. And when I woke up in the jail cell, I grabbed all I, I had been in jail before. They had green jail down there. If you've ever been in it, you've seen it. I took a coffee mug and I did like Barney Fife. <laughs> the guy's like, shove! I'm like, what? I got to get to work. They're like, no, your truck's impounded and you're seeing a judge. I'm like, what? And sure enough, there it all was. I made deals with God. God, I'll go to church if you get me out of this. God, I'll do this. God, you pay this 9,000. That's how much a DOI was then. I don't even know now, but you pay this. I'll do anything. I'll do. I made deals with God, but he didn't want a deal. You know what God wanted? He wanted an intimate relationship with me. He wanted to show me he loved me more than anyone could love me. And as I understand that love, then I love him back. That's what he wants. So you check it out and ask God, ask the Holy Spirit to show you, do I have an intimate, loving relationship with you or do I just simply have an affair? Do I go out with you when it's convenient or when I got, when I got what you want to offer, when you have something to offer that I want? When I'm not, I have my ropes in, when I, I got no other choice, I, that's, so ask him if you've got that relationship or you've just got an affair. And if you have that relationship, it's the greatest relationship you'll ever have and it just keeps growing. And in heaven, dude, we've been learning Revelation, it's out of this world, man. The way you get that relationship is just surrender everything you know about yourself to everything you know about him. That's it, man. He'll take, it from, he'll take the rest. And if you've already done that, keep doing that. One step at a time. What do you want me to do now, God? And do it. What do you want me to do now, God? Do it. And he gives you the power and ability to do that. It takes faith, though. Right, Mother Teresa? Did it take faith to go overseas with, with Father Al there? Yeah. Did it take faith while Al says, hey, let's do this? And did your, you know, womanly, motherly instincts say, I don't think this is wise, but I'm going to listen. Did you ever have any of those moments? Yeah, I did too with him. <laughs> I'm just saying. But by faith, you do what you're supposed to do, and it works out, and your faith grows. Develop that relationship. Let's pray. Father, I'm coming to you in the name of Jesus, and that's by faith. I got no sacrifice to offer, like the Old Testament, that would be worthy. Father, all I have the sacrifice Jesus performed on the cross, and you told us by faith that is the sacrifice you accept. I pray, Father, that there's somebody here that needs that sacrifice in their life. Today, by faith, they would surrender themselves to you and believe that you love them. And that by what Christ did on the cross, you have delivered them. And by your shed blood, you have paid for their sins. You have given them forgiveness and deliverance. And now they live in, you live inside of them. Your Holy Spirit lives in them and wants to guide and direct them as they will surrender. Father, for those of us that know that we know that we know through faith 
that you live inside of us, and we're going to heaven when we die. We look forward to that day. But while we're here, Father, we want you to continually to show us how much you love us so we can fall more in love with you that way. Because we do crazy things for people we're in love with. That's what we want to do for you. I pray for these things in Jesus' name. Amen.